This is Broadcast, Talking TV, recorded at Maple Street Studios. Hello and welcome to the show, I'm Jake Cantor. Coming down the Talking TV slipway this week, we discuss Firecom making its mark on Channel 5, a little-known presenter on a BBC2 motoring show, and ITV training celebs up as shepherds. Also on the programme, we'll preview BBC4's new brain teaser, The Quizium, and Killer Magic on BBC3. That's coming up on Talking TV from Broadcast. Uh, joining me in the studio this week is broadcast editor Chris Curtis. Long time no see. I don't know whether you haven't invited me, Jake, or I've turned. I invite you every time. You turned down your. My, I've turned down your invitations. I don't know, but yeah, nice to uh, nice to be back. It's been a busy week. We've had RTS awards and uh, Game of Thrones premieres and a few exciting things like that. that so was a lavish do, wasn't it? They'd spent a penny or two on that sky last night, and uh, it was worth it. Very and nice. What did you make of the first episode of the fifth series? It's a slow burn, isn't it? The first app. No spoilers on the Talking TV podcast, <laughs> but um, a, a slow burn. But yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to get back into uh, season five. It's of nicely, I think. Uh, also with us is Zigzag Productions Chief Executive Danny Fenton. You're just back from LA, is that right, Danny? Sounds very glamorous. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I just got off the plane, but it's uh, it's great to be here. I'm, I'm normally only invited for the Christmas frivolity, so <laughs> it's nice to be here to talk. Talk TV. Talk, talk shop. Talk properly. shop, yeah. We'll move on to our first news piece, uh, which is broadcast special issue on Channel 5 under Viacom. Our front page reveals the US media giant's plans to rebrand Channel 5 and back Big Brother for the next three years. Uh, there are also intriguing details about Channel 5's vision for terms of trade. It wants the trading rules to be overhauled to apply only to small and medium-sized businesses. It follows Channel 4 setting out similar proposals earlier this week. Chris, should we start with terms of trade mm. uh, before we move on to Channel 5? Uh, this feels like it's gathering momentum, certainly among uh, the broadcasters. It feels like the battle lines are starting to be drawn. So um, Channel 4 and Channel 5 in their Ofcom PSB review submissions have made similar points. They're kind of saying that you know, terms of trade were introduced to help Small production companies compete against the might of the big broadcasters and that that balance of power has changed over the last sort of 12 years, um, which clearly to some extent it has. And they're sort of talking about a threshold. So for for smaller, for indigenous, for sort of, you know, domestic British producers, they would get a favourable deal. And once you grow above a certain size, all bets are off and you're negotiating in a sort of open market with the broadcaster. Danny, you sit on Pat Council. Is this I- Is this concerning? Wearing my packed hat, but also wearing my hat as a CEO of an independent medium-sized company, it is concerning. And I think there's a very vital element that's been missed from this debate, which is the broadcasters are saying, we want to give a better opportunity to the small and medium-sized companies. But the reality is the broadcasters also are saying that they want a bigger share of the back end. And the truth is, if they offer more to the smaller and medium-sized indies, they, the broadcasters, are going to be more attracted to work with the super indies because they're going to get a bigger share of, of the pie. Added to which, if you're a smaller, medium-sized company who at some point wish to sell your company, you are going to be disincentivized to sell because anybody who's buying you is going to suddenly, the moment they buy you, realize that your value is going to drop overnight. So I think only part of the, 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 the discussion has been had, and it's only been had from the broadcaster's side but there's a really important element for the for the producers which is they're going to suffer as a result of any t- change in terms of trade how do you expect this battle to play out 
Will it be part of the PSP review or will it go on for longer than that? Will there have to be regulation changes? Well, it's definitely it's mm. part of the PSB review. And, and as Chris pointed out, you know, the other broadcasters as well as the BBC are kind of circling around the terms of trade issue. I know, you know, from the PAC point of view, the PAC are going to kind of fight quite hard on behalf of the producers. And it's not a new battle. It's kind of a almost a perennial battle. Um I think it's probably going to be quite bloody, actually, and uh, think that it's going to need quite a lot of negotiation. You know, and I would say, from, you know, from my point of view, there would need to be some sort of protection against the the Indies. That even if they change the terms of trade, um, if they were to sell at a later point, they should be able to keep the you know the share that they got at the point. You know that they negotiated it with the broadcasters. Yeah, and we haven't heard ITV's views on all of this, have we yet? No, it's hard to believe, hard to think that ITV are going to be massively sticking up for the uh, indie community. I would think they would, you know, would expect they might well be broadly in line with C4, C5, and and and, and kind of the BBC. Um, I think that it's a really difficult situation, given that there's two kind of quite logical viewpoints. Really, point number one is. Something that was introduced in 2003 when the world was a very different place and the production community is a very different place, it clearly seems logical to have a look at that and work out whether it's still appropriate. And your inclination might be, well, if the world's changed, then maybe the regulation should change. And the flip side of that is terms of trade have been a massive success. It's fundamentally worked and turned the indie community into a into a global success. So... The um, then your perspective is well, why do we want to tinker with? Why would the government or um, why why is there an inclination to um, uh, to undermine a success story? And squaring those two things off is the challenge that um, I guess Ofcom. Um, and the government face. I'm glad it's not me having to mm, square that. Feels circle. like we're just at the start of this debate. I would say it? so. Uh, and what about Channel Five? Uh, interesting issue this week with uh, with our special. Um, yeah, so I mean, the thinking. To be honest, you know, the the deal was announced in May, sort of last year. It closed in September, um, but we hadn't really been able to dig beneath the surface um, as what it means for for Viacom to own um, a PSB. And uh, there's lots of information in in the issue and online today. You know, I've interviewed Ben Frau. He's talking about his sort of programming vision it's clear they want to get into some genres they haven't um, necessarily been in before we you know we fully expect um, some some comedy maybe a bit of drama you know at the, at the lighter edges that you know I don't think we're going to see million pound budgets on, on Channel 5 anytime soon but but certainly those genres moving back into the schedule he talks about campaigning factual um, probably slightly sort of harder factual I would I would think um, and then the guys David Lynn and Bob Backish sort of higher up the chain are starting to paint a picture of the way that the Viacom group will work together and the way that C5 as a sort of uh, you know, big free-to-air player can sit in their portfolio of, of pay channels. Danny, are you happy to see Big Brother back for three years? Um, well, you know, I'm happy for Channel 5. They, they've got it. Obviously, it's a big portion of their budget is spent on that. But if it means that they're going to have more money to spend on other shows around it, then that's great. If they're going to broaden their remit and have other genres, I think that's got to be good news for the production community as well. No, I think Viacom can see within Channel 5 there's an opportunity there to really take on the other channels. And right now, Five are kind of parked their tanks on the lawn of Channel 4. Often, you know, they're taking them on in the ratings and it wouldn't take much, would it, to uh, to make Channel 5 a, 
a significant player, which at the moment is, you know, it's kind of on the periphery. Ben's done a really good job in terms of kind of rearranging uh, the way they do things. But I think there's, you know, there's obviously an opportunity for them to push harder with Viacom behind them. I think, you know, coming back to the, you know, the rights issue, what's going to be a big question is now it's part of that portfolio of Viacom channels. How is the rights situation going to work out, you know, across the Viacom channels, especially if, as the talk has it, that they're going to try and commission shows that will kind of play it across the, the portfolio. Mm. And a potential rebrand, just just quickly. Um, yeah, we, th- maybe V five, maybe V five. We, we, specu- <laughs> we were speculating the office V five yeah. network five. Or yeah. probably I'd be surprised if they deviate too much beyond Channel five. But mm. you know, Richard Desmond was not inclined to spend money on very much for Channel five, and that, that everything from programming to marketing to you know, apart from uh, plenty of coverage in the Express and the, the, the magazines. They own, clearly, Viacom's going to have a different a different point of view. Um, so. They're gonna they're gonna sex it up. They're gonna make it more attractive. They're gonna shout about it, be a bit more confident. And I think it'll be really interesting to see where they might take it. I've got a feeling that we might see MTV and and Channel Five sort of edging a little bit closer towards one another. And um, if BBC Three um, but moves into uh, you know becomes an online only channel, there's a bit of a gap around sort of younger skewing, factual led programming it wouldn't surprise me if channel 5 had a little sniff around that area okay moving on uh, it's the man who's barely been off the front pages over the past fortnight uh, good news if you like middle-aged men in aviator sunglasses bad news if you're a tv producer in charge of catering uh, so a quick recap jeremy clarkson and top gear producer oshin Tymone have both been given uh, evidence to bbc scotland boss uh, ken mcquarrie's investigation into their so-called fracar Macquarie's findings will then be handed to Director-General Tony Hall, who will ultimately make a decision on Clarkson's future. In the background, uh, BBC Worldwide needs to decide if the presenter will remain part of its planned live shows in uh, Norway later this month. Uh, Clarkson has also been booked to host Have I Got News For You in April. Uh, Danny, do you want to kick us off on this? Well, it's funny (laughs) because this all um, happened while I was away, and yet it made... What was it like looking... Uh, through the glass, in a way. Well, it made um, it made the papers in America, which it? says a lot about uh, you know the power of Clarkson. Uh, yeah, it was it's kind of a long time coming, wasn't it? I mean, he's he's had a number of faux pas along the way, which the BBC seemed to have kind of excused him of. You know, y- you feel like he was almost kind of pushing it to to the limit to see how far it could go. And from what I understand. Uh, it was Clarkson who kind of uh, reported himself in for the That's for, what's for been the, reported, for, yeah. For, for, he he for handed the himself in. You know, I mean, clearly you can't go around punching producers. I would have thought it's a big dilemma for the BBC because he is key piece of talent for them, but it's, you know, it's inexcusable. How he'll be able to present Have I Got News For You while being suspended from Top Gear uh, is, 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 to me is a bit of a conundrum, but um, I would have thought this story is going to run and run. Yeah, I mean, we may well get closure this week. I think there's a lot. There's, well, it feels like there's increasing pressure on the BBC to to come some to some sort of decision. I guess if you're the Beeb, you probably want to rip the bandaid off quickly rather than pull it back slowly. Um, it's hard looking at it, given the statements that Tony Hall and Danny Cohen have made about the culture they want within the BBC, given the Dino Rose report on bullying given um, the political climate that the sort of BBC is going to be in, the, the, the sort of spotlight that it will be under over the next sort of 18 months, it's hard for me to see how 
they can keep Clarkson on top gear, to be completely honest. And I think that, um, you know, put when he's saying edgy things on... Whether you think what he says on screen is edgy or offensive or somewhere in between, that's kind of what he's paid to do to a certain extent. He's presenting the show and he gives it that that sort of frisson that sets Top Gear out amongst the, the, the sort of its rival shows. What he's not paid to do is behave, seems to be pretty badly... Towards the no people, no one's that denying help. anything at the moment. Which, no one's, no yeah. one's, no one's saying that he wasn't basically, yeah. you know, what? shouting and swearing. No yeah. one's denied that he's thro- at least thrown a punch. Well, you can't. You just. But well, well, what's interesting is that how many people have come out kind of in support of him? Was it like you know ninety? Well, it's over, it's over a million. Uh, over a million. Sorry, yeah. Yeah. over a million people have come out in support of him. A. A. Gill, obviously, as his friend, came out in support of him. And I read an article last night in the Standard, which was celebrating the spirit of the Maverick and saying, you know, that we should be protecting this un-PC maverick character. Clarkson's behaviour is against the spirit of, of the times, of the way the BBC wants to be. And I think, you know, they're going to have to make him a scapegoat for that. So the BBC's had criticism for pulling the series, effectively. And the argument appears to be percolating that they could have carried on without Clarkson and kept the, ha- the fans happy. And, uh, you know, this whole situation perhaps wouldn't have been as big as it is at the moment. Do you do you think there's some truth in that? Uh, I think they could quite easily have aired the remaining. I mean, they so you were telling me um, earlier um, this week that they shoot largely on a Thursday for the Sunday program. Right. Well, they, they do the studio bits. The studio bits, absolutely, yeah. and they've done the VT packages. So there are there, there's, there's some VT of Clarkson that was lined up for the final three episodes. It's just sitting on a shelf somewhere. So they could have perfectly well have, have sort of played Real those. Thing, yeah. yeah, and 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 had a, a guest a guest presenter or just had the, the um, uh, James and Richard doing. The well, it's been reported on Thursday morning that uh, that they refused to carry on without him, and that and you can uh, you wouldn't be surprised. I, I don't think it would have pacified the fans. I don't think if they'd said, "Oh well, we're suspending Jeremy, but we're going to play the last few episodes out without him," that Top Gear fans would have said, "Oh well, that's mm. that, you know that's fun." Then I think the outrage inverted commas is oh, the BBC suspended Jeremy Clarkson, and I love Jeremy Clarkson. Now, that's mm. the relatively simplistic. Um, sort of school of thought, but if you went to all of those people and said in your place of work, um, one of your colleagues has punched another colleague. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if it is a punch, there's nothing. You know, we don't know, but no one's saying that it did, that didn't happen. Um, if um, <clears throat> it, it, you know, if you went to those people who have signed that petition and said one of your colleagues has punched another one, what do you think should happen? Should they be suspended or should they come into work the next day? You might have a different answer. I, I read that the. A friend of the producer had said that if the BBC don't pursue it, then he's going to pursue it legally. So it, it would su- suggest that a punch probably was thrown. I mean, the cynical nature of our industry is if the BBC drop Clarkson, someone else will pick him up straight away mm-hmm. and it will be a gift you know, to ITV or Channel 4 or Channel 5 who all would love to get into that kind of top gear space in a, in a, in a big way. So the BBC got to be kind of careful with how they handle it because they could, you know, be losing a prized asset. Definitely true. Although Channel 4 apparently ruled themselves out. Have they? <laughs> yeah. Maybe a bit too toxic for them. Yeah. Uh, away from Clarkson, uh, broadcast revealed last week that Disney-owned multi-channel network Maker Studios has begun pitching original show ideas to broadcasters as TV begins to take advantage of the YouTube talent revolution. Danny, this intrigued you, didn't it? Yeah, but it, it was interesting for me because I, I met the chief content officer of Maker Studios um, on a recent trip to the States. When you were in LA last week? I was actually in Miami. Uh, 
I get around. <laughs> it's all work. Yeah. It was it was fascinating because I, I I'm intrigued by a company that you know sells for five hundred million and has a five hundred million earnout, but loses ninety million pounds a year. It almost seemed like an incredible Ponzi scheme because they you know they were saying that they needed ideas, they needed content, they needed producers, they needed library, uh, and I said, well, I can do all of those for you. But the most fascinating thing is, I then had a meeting in London with their their London team. And I was saying, you know, we've got ideas for YouTube channels. In fact, we've launched some already. You know, we've got some content that we could provide for online. And they said, well, we're not really interested in that. We just we just want to make television. That's where the money is. And I thought what was fascinating is that where, where is this gold rush, supposedly, for TV producers going, we've got to get online, we've got to get online. There is the biggest producer of online content, 10% of YouTube's global content made by Maker Studios. And they're saying, well, you know, we want to be on TV. That's where the money's at. So... Uh, I think that's an interesting, you know, comment on where we're at at the moment. People think TV's over the hill, but from the online, you know, biggest producer's point of view, they want to be on TV. Still revered. Mm. It's revered, and <laughs> yeah. it's also where the money's at. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Vice are in a similar situation, aren't they? In that Vice are this super cool, cutting-edge brand that do really interesting things in news and other sort of verticals, music and cooking and all, and, and that. They want to have um, airtime in the States and potentially in the UK as well my instinct is that it won't be the case that the tv industry sees the pot of money online and chases after that or the online community sees the pot of money on tv and chases after that so matches eventually there will be a crossover a proper crossover star someone who probably has grown up online with an organic authentic fan base and then is able to transfer that over to TV. And we have, we're just starting to see, you know, Zoella was on um, Comic Relief Bake Off, and you're just starting to see a few things like that. I guess the caveat is you, you want to be careful you don't have a dapper laugh situation where yeah, right. someone's massively out of their, I was going to say, well, comfort zone. The problem is... is no, that's that, true. They haven't, Dan Baldwin admits that in the pages of broadcast this week mm-hmm. that he was out of his comfort zone. And, you know, and he's not going to be the only one because, you know, the talent that's on YouTube, which maker actually manage a lot of that mm. talent, control a lot of that talent. You know, sitting in your bedroom doing your makeup or, you know, commenting on, on FIFA games and maybe you've got 10 million followers, but that doesn't translate into to television. And, and and that's why people like Maker or Vice probably will need TV producers because TV producers struggle to make short-form content online, but online, you know, uh, mm. producers struggle to make TV and that's why we haven't seen any successful crossover yet. And I think you're right, there will be the crossover, but it's how do you bring those online talent with their millions of followers onto TV and bring their millions of followers with them? Yeah. And obviously from the TV broadcaster's point of view, they're going, wow, they've got 10 million followers. Only if they, if they could bring just a couple of million of <laughs> yeah, those yeah. with them, I'd be delighted. Yeah. So Ella might be the person to do it. I mean, you mentioned the, the great comic relief bake-off. Danny Cohen reckons that had a noticeable increase in the, uh, in the number of 16 to 34s viewing, which has to be genuinely interesting if you're a broadcaster. Mm. Particularly if you're the BBC and you're about mm. to put BBC Three online <laughs> yeah. um, and the um, boundaries are going to be blurred between uh, short and long-form content and how you release it and, and where it plays. I think that is right. No one's cracked it yet and it might not come tomorrow or the next day, but at some point I'll be amazed if they're not able to find... It's really... Fun. I guess it's probably finding the right TV vehicle. Yeah. For Because I think what's really interesting about these... Um, it, it, it's clearly happened in the music industry. What's really interesting about YouTube talent is how natural and organic it is. Yeah. And that the difficulty and the interesting thing is there's not a big format around it often. No. There's not the grammar of television. It's just that this talent is yeah. super engaging to its audience. And, they, and there's a connection. There's a way in which... 
the online fans of YouTube talent relate to them and interact yeah. with them and send them messages, it feels like a different kind of relationship. When I was in the States, somebody told me about um, a house where there are four gamers who live in the house and they basically take turns kind of playing games and talking about the games they're playing. And between them, they're generating about a million dollars a week of revenue. So a TV company approached them and said, God, this will make a great TV show. And they said, well, why would we want to do TV? Mm. We're making a million dollars mm. a week. You know, you can't kind of match that and we don't need the aggravation. So the hard, the hard thing is to make TV appealing to those people. Yeah. Yeah. And also it's all very well, Zoella being on Bake Off and drawing a younger audience, but most young people aren't watching TV. And when I was in America, I asked a friend of mine's son, what's your favourite programme on TV? And he turned to his dad and said, Dad, what's TV? <laughs> wow. Okay, that's a, that's a, that's a, a worrying response <laughs> for any commissioner or producer. Should we move on to something a bit more traditional? Our yes. commissioner of the fortnight? Uh, it can only be one thing this week, I think, and that's ITV commissioning Liberty Bell to train celebrities up as shepherds <laughs> in an eight-part series it is calling Flock Stars. Good title. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. You just wonder... <laughs> Where there is to go with the celebrity experience <laughs> format? Uh, we, is this is this the the is this the end of the road? No, I think probably not. Um, at the last MIPCOM, I managed to spot celebrity firemen, uh, celebrity all star bodyguards, um, celebrity uh, lifeguards. <laughs> I mean, there there there's no end to no end what. To Z-list celebrities will do. What do you make of celebrity shepherding? Well, <laughs> you don't seem convinced. It probably you? will appeal to the Heartland ITV audience. It's kind of... Casting's going to be super important, isn't it? Who yeah. They get, who they get in it. I don't know. I, I'm kind of... Look, I think your initial reaction is celebrity shepherding. You kind of think mm, that seems really jarring, and you wonder yeah. whether, you know, how it's, you know, inverted commas, how's it, how's it come to this? But yeah. I actually think that um, it's a bit different and it's quite exciting and a bit unusual. So I kind of think it scores some points there. Be, uh, tonally, it's going to be really. Like, they get they, they, their tongue's going to be in their cheek when they when when they do this. Yeah. It's going to have dogs. I mean, yeah. you know, nice. I was <laughs> found myself watching Crufts the other the other day, um, and. Um, uh, that's I don't know I could sort of see that oh. you know a, a, a little relationship developing between a, a cute canine yeah. and a, and a, no, and a sort of cele- celebrity dogs doctor win prizes. Yeah. dogs win, dogs win audiences I mean yeah. so I suppose it's almost a reality version of Emmerdale um, <laughs> let's just hope we're not um, counting sheep when we're watching it oh boom boom yeah, <laughs> yeah. well there, some people had some uh, some fun online on our on our that's comment all. section yeah uh, Ben Shepard to host very good good uh, yeah. Barbara Windsor. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> we need to stop now, Jake. Yeah, let's stop. <laughs> uh, that's your news for this episode. Thanks to Danny and Chris. Uh, no producer interview this week, uh, so we'll move on to some previews. Chris and Danny are still with me to cast an eye over two upcoming shows. We will start with BBC Three's Killer Magic, the latest format from Magic Specialist Objective Productions. Voiced by Radio 1 DJ Matt Ebenson, the show features five young magicians battling it out to avoid performing a notoriously risky illusion. In this clip, the magicians learn that they must trick their way out of a 63-hour dip in an ice bath. No, thank you. No, No, it doesn't sound fun. It's giving me goosebumps. Uh, 63 hours. I don't think any of us will last 63 seconds. (laughs) All they need now is a theme to base their tricks on. 
Your challenge is to perform magic on the theme of... Ooh. Toys. Oh, oh, that's nice. <laughs> Yeah. I instantly think of my childhood. You get to be a big kid again. Yes. Yes. I didn't really have many toys. I used to like play with insects and set fire to things. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with you? It says so much about you. Uh, Danny, this is Come Die When We Meet Steinemo, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, as Freddie Mercury might have said, it's a kind of magic. Um, I thought it was... Uh, <laughs> I like that, I like that. I like that too. I thought it was watchable. Uh, and yes, it had uh, a lot of Come Die With Me aspects to it. I wasn't sure if the title Killer Magic meant it was going to kill all magic uh, forevermore because obviously there's a lot of magic out there right now, including some of our own. Um, Is that Troy? Yes. <laughs> and uh, I you know, I thought the format was quite neat, really. You know, the kind of comparison of the skills. It was kind of uh, impractical jokers of magic as well. You know, that kind of group magic thing could work, but it, it kind of left me a little bit, not wanting more, <laughs> you know, I felt I'd, I'd kind of seen enough. I think it could have a life online because I think that's, you know, the sort of audience that it would attract. I like the idea that, you know, they kind of, they were marking each other, but then the problem is, which they do in Impractical Jokers, but with magic, magicians all know how each other do their tricks. So I don't know what they're really marking them on, probably on execution. I mean, my main thing was they compared Chris Cox as a kind of Sue Perkins lookalike, but I thought that you, Jake, were much more of a Sue Perkins lookalike than <laughs> Chris Cox. Wow. Um, one assumes this won't migrate online, though, given that uh, BBC Three's sort of ruled out doing formats. Yeah, um, who, know, who knows on that front? There were bits of it I really liked and bits of it I really struggled with. So the, 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 the tricks are the good bits. There's five or six um, magicians, and they all did pretty good tricks. I was impressed by the standard of the magic and the inventiveness of it. And there were some that were shocking, and there were some that was cute, and some that was funny, and some that was sort of mysterious. So I liked the, the breadth of tone that you got from having the different, the different kind of magicians. If you watched a lot of magic, or you've made magic shows, which we have, the reality is there isn't that much variety you can offer. And I, th the tricks were actually, for me, quite predictable, but I... Th thought that the variation on them was quite mm. good i.e they say in magic there are only, there are only 10 tricks it's just how you mm. in, interpret them and so i thought that you know the way they interpreted them was quite good but they played so so kind of trick uh, i can't remember what order they appeared in but they 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 juxtaposed to a trick where a woman swallowed some pieces of lego and then cut out of her stomach a um a sort of fully built little car with a trick where um, a guy did a sort of human Pac-Man and the magician predicted the route he would take. There was a lot of variety. Yeah, and, and, and putting those two things next to each other, I thought, worked really well. The problem, so I like that, and I like the voiceover. Matt Evanson was, was was sort of good, and he struck that nice sort of tone of being slightly sort of snidey yeah. and that kind of come down with me sort of thing. So that worked really well. It built, and they scored, and it was interesting to see how they, you know, well, the, the scores, the, the magicians came. And then the, the loser had to sit in an ice bath. And yeah. the problem with that was it was boring for TV. I the guy sits in an ice bath and he gets really cold and he tells us, oh, I'm feeling really cold now. And they and they cut, they do time lapse and it moves on. And now he's been in for five mm. minutes and now he's been in for 10 minutes. And I just thought after all the, the, the tricks that I liked, I yeah. thought were good tricks, to have something that was so static and so... Um, uh, dull to yeah. watch at the, as the as the climax of the show really undermined it. No, it's a very fair point, and I think that it was like almost there were two endings. You know, you got to the end of the competition, and you thought, well, that's actually quite a satisfactory watch, and then the ice bath thing kind of just dragged on a bit. And I think it was aping the impractical jokers format in that somebody gets punished at the end yep. for, for for getting the lowest 
mark but it, yeah, it, it was dull it wasn't very visual and you just as you said you just heard him say oh you know I can just about feel my legs again now after five minutes out of the bath which you know yeah it left me a bit cold boom very boom good. Very, very good <laughs> Killer Magic launches at 10pm on the 24th of March on BBC3 uh, last up this week is BBC Four's latest stab at a clever quiz. Uh, actor and comedian Griff Rhys-Jones will host the Quizium in museums around the UK and ask expert contestants to delve into history to answer questions across a number of rounds. Produced by Griff Rhys-Jones's indie Modern Television, in this clip, guests Janina Ramirez and Michael Scott must decide what the artefact in front of them is. So, there we have it. We have, it's a sort of Chinese fertility box or a hutch for a tame cricket. So, what do you think oh, of those two explanations? I, I've seen Mulan, the Disney film, and in that, the crickets are in a little cage. <laughs> I, I don't remember them being sealed up in a gourd type affair like this. <laughs> this is in my great wisdom of Disney movies. Oh, Disney, well, I, the wisdom of Disney, wisdom it goes Disney. a long way. Uh, it was the cricket box in the end, If you, in case you're listening. <laughs> Spo- spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, do you want to start us on this? <laughs> Big fan of Only Connect. I just wish they'd made it a bit harder. You know, I find it a bit easy. Uh, I'm joking, of course. Uh, and um, so I kind of like that sort of, uh, you know, clever BBC4 quiz thing. I didn't, this sort of fell between two stools for me a little bit in that it's kind of trying to be a bit QIE um, and it isn't really about who wins the points and it's more about the sort of the 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 witty conversations and banter between the teams. The t- But the teams are kind of experts um, rather than comedians. So... Uh, they were perfectly interesting. They were quite engaging, weren't they? They were engaging. They were nice pieces of uh, uh, talent, but it wasn't. I was left a bit... I couldn't... I didn't really know what it was trying to... I mean, uh, you know, perf- uh, perfectly enjoyable. I wouldn't be too negative about it, but I didn't I, I didn't get it, really. I, I applaud the ambition because it beats... You know, you see so many history programmes with historians striding around country houses and things like that, and this felt different, and I think I think that's a good thing. Danny? <laughs> it was a veritable feast that you offered us this week. Um, you know, it was uh, it was clever programming. Um, by that, I don't mean clever scheduling. I mean, it was clever programming. Uh, for me, it made QI seem like Take Me Out and uh, University <laughs> Challenge for like Family Fortunes. Uh, you know, it was... Um, I think Danny Cohen would be pleased because it was true to its Rethian values. But I, I, you know, someone of my intellect found it quite a... A hard watch. I found it a bit taxing at times. Yeah, it reminded me of when I did uh, the Edinburgh uh, Celebrity Mastermind and I got beaten by Daisy Goodwin by one point when she uh, did the works of Jane Austen and I did um, Tottenham Hotspur 1978 to the present day. <laughs> I thought we weren't mentioning Tottenham. Then. <laughs> I had to slip it in. Yeah. Uh, it did make me pine for BBC Three, actually. I, you know, I thought it was, uh, it was a hard watch. Um, it didn't look like it had very high production values, um, and I think that possibly the audience would be better served having it delivered by DVD for the size of the audience that you'll probably <laughs> receive. Don't hold back, Danny. No, I'm sure you wanted me to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think that it had some nice moments to it. Like it was nice that it was in a museum. I thought yeah. that was a nice. I like the bit when they nice got out and about it. and they were looking at all the different artifacts. Look at the artifacts. That was yeah. better than when they were static on their. Absolutely. On their desk. Well, it was a kind of dodgy desk that so they were yeah. squeezed, squeezed it, behind. I wonder. I mean, you said about the production values. I mean, I just wonder how much money they've made this for because uh, it it looked 
it looked cheap, and it, that's not the point. The point of it isn't whiz bang explosions and a big set, and that, that's the, not the kind of genre of program it's it's operating in. But um, it looked it was quite small, and um, the there were you know there were some sort of cryptic clues when they went out around the museum, and that was kind of nice, and, and you could see them working together. And when there was a bit of chemistry between the the the, the, the sort of expert couples, that was fun. But it kind of felt like um, I was getting a, an insight into a um, a dinner party where I was mm. both massively out of my depth yeah. and slightly bored. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't very inclusive. It was quite exclusive in terms of the subject matter. Um, and I think that there were certain rounds, like I like the, the, the call my bluff round, you mm. know, kind of trying mm-hmm. to work out what the items were. Uh, it's nice yeah. to see Griffith Jones yeah. back on TV uh, and, and demonstrating his incredible intellect and wit, but I can't see it getting a very big audience, but it will serve... A niche audience, which BBC Four needs to which serve. BBC Four does well. Mm. All right, the Quizium debuts at eight thirty PM on the twenty fifth of March on BBC Four. Uh, and that's the bell for the end of the show. Thank you to my guests, Danny Fenton and Chris Curtis. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks, but until then, I've been Jake Cantor and the producer was Matt Hill. Goodbye for now. You've been listening to Broadcast Talking TV, recorded at Maple Street Studios. 